welcome back to another edition of the ASAP Equal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Woods. This episode is going to be a little bit shorter than the rest of ours and is going to be a rapid fire discussion of a pair of nerve blocks that are useful for presentations of headache in the ER. Dr. Catherine Vlasica is here. She's the director of EM pain management at St. Joseph's Health in Patterson, New Jersey, and she's a clinical assistant professor of medicine at NYMC. She's going to give us an overview of occipital nerve blocks and low paraspinous injections for ED patients presenting with headache. Headache is a common presenting complaint to the emergency department. In the data provided by the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics, it is steadily one of the top five presenting complaints to the ED, accounting for two to three percent of all ED visits and affecting roughly one out of every six Americans. Higher incidence in the data has been observed in females, 20% compared to 9% of males who have reported a headache in the past 90 days. There has also been a higher incidence of headaches in the past 90 days reported in patients of lower socioeconomic status, elderly, and disabled. In women aged 18 to 44 years of age, headache is the third leading cause of emergency department visits. In order to understand the procedures described today, we need to briefly review the pain pathways in the head. We will start by looking at the sensory innervation in the head, specifically the dermatomes of the head and face. The dermatomes of the head and face are a large factor in sensory input involved in headache neuromodulation. The anterior aspect of the head is largely covered by the ophthalmic, maxillary, and mandibular nerves, also known as the V1, V2, and V3 divisions of the trigeminal nerve. The posterior aspect of the head is innervated by the greater and lesser occipital nerves. The occipital nerves are formed by the dorsal rami of C2 and C3 spinal nerves, which bring their afferent input into the brainstem. We know that a large part of the sensory afferent pain pathways in the anterior aspect of the head tend to come from the trigeminal nerve. These afferents input into the trigeminal ganglion, which bring afferent information to the three sensory nuclei in the brainstem, primarily the spinal tract of the trigeminal nerve. This nucleus goes down quite far into the brainstem and interfaces with other sensory afferents from the dorsal roots of C2 and C3 through the greater and lesser occipital nerve in the trigeminal cervical complex. The trigeminal cervical complex also receives afferent information from the facial nerve via the sphenopalatine ganglion, the vagus nerve, and the dorsal roots of the lower cervical spine. The dorsal roots of the lower cervical spine are an important input when looking at the low paraspinal cervical injections. What happens further from the trigeminal cervical complex is that the efferent information regulates the pain neuromodulation to the higher cortical levels. You can think of the trigeminal cervical complex as a type of switchboard, which can either increase or decrease your pain perception in the higher cortical levels. Okay, so I think I remember the anatomy now. Can you walk us through the two injections, how to perform them, when they're useful, when they might be contraindicated, and then any other tips or tricks? The greater occipital nerve block is the one of the most commonly described peripheral block technique with a very broad spectrum of indications for both primary and secondary headache disorders. The most common usage for the greater occipital nerve blocks are cervicogenic headaches and occipital neuralgias. However, they have been used in the treatment of migraine headaches, cluster headaches, chronic daily headaches, 
also post-traumatic headaches and postural puncture headaches. When using occipital nerve blocks, you should consider risks and caution when the patient reports an allergy to a local anesthetic. A consideration might be to only use a corticosteroid. If there is an overlying skin infection in the area of injection, do not use this block, especially if the patient comes in with something like a folliculitis barbae. These blocks have also been reported to cause injuries to the occipital artery and nerve. Use caution if there's any anticoagulant or antiplatelet use. If the patient is pregnant, that is not an absolute contraindication to an occipital nerve block. You might want to consider using lidocaine instead of bupivacaine. If there is a history of prior vasovagal syncope, consider putting the patient into a prone position. However, the main contraindication to this block is a known skull defect or a previous craniotomy. The greater occipital nerve arises from the posterior division of the second cervical nerve as the medial branch. It ascends obliquely between the obliquus capitis inferior and the semispinalis capitis and pierces the semispinalis capitis and the trapezius near their attachments to the occipital bone. These are the landmarks in performing the greater and lesser occipital nerve blocks. From the posterior aspect of the head, you're going to find the occipital protuberance. You will then locate the mastoid process and draw an imaginary line. The injection site for the greater occipital nerve lies one-third of the way down from the occipital protuberance to the mastoid process, and the injection site for the lesser occipital nerve lies two-thirds of the way down. You will need either 0.25% or 0.5% bupivacaine. You can also use 1% or 2% lidocaine. You will need alcohol pads and gloves, a 5-milliliter syringe, a 25 or 27-gauge inch-and-a-half needle, and also you will have to discuss the risks, benefits, and alternatives to treatment with your patient. You will locate the site of injection. You might want to consider finding the point of maximum tenderness, and usually that coincides with the greater or lesser occipital nerve. You will point the needle upwards, you will aspirate prior to the injection, and inject 1.5 to 3 mLs of your chosen medication per injection site. You may inject only one site, you may inject both the greater or lesser occipital nerves, you may also consider injecting bilateral greater and lesser occipital nerves. It just depends on the headache presentation, and what kind of headache your patient has. We're also going to briefly touch upon the lesser occipital nerve side injection. The lesser occipital nerve arises from the dorsal rami of C2, sometimes C3 spinal nerves. It ascends along the posterior border of the sternocleidomastoid muscle, supplying the skin lateral to the greater occipital nerve and posterior to the greater auricular nerve. It may be localized for injection by drawing the same line used to localize the greater occipital nerve but by moving two-thirds of the way laterally from the occipital protuberance. The drugs and technique of injection are identical to those used for the great occipital nerve block. If you want additional information, there is a great video found on the Colorado Hospital Association website done by Dr. Don Stater and can be found on the clinician training materials section. And I will list that link in the show notes.
Now we will switch to another landmark-based procedure called the lower paraspinal cervical injection, which involves injecting a local anesthetic into the lower posterior aspect of the neck at about the level of C6 and C7. This is a lesser known newer procedure compared to the greater occipital nerve blocks with which we have had excellent results on many of our patients with really any type of orofacial pain in our department. Lower paraspinal cervical injection was first described in 2003 by brothers Larry Mellick and Gary Mellick. Gary Mellick is a pain management specialist who tried it on one of his chronic pain patients. And Larry Mellick is an emergency medicine physician who has published the two largest studies on this procedure. There have been two large retrospective reviews of this procedure. The smaller one done in 2008 in the Journal of Orofacial Pain, which has showed that this procedure provided pain relief, either complete or partial pain relief in 94% of the patients. The second study, also a retrospective review, however, a decent patient sample size of 417 headache patients, 65% of those patients experienced complete pain relief. 20% of them had partial relief. A low paraspinal cervical injection has a very broad indication base. We've used this successfully in this department for a variety of conditions. A large number of patients received this treatment for migraine headaches. We've used it with great success with patients with trigeminal neuralgia, and these patients have had a near 100% response to this injection. You can use it for any type of orofacial pain, corneal abrasions, post-LP headaches, and patients with meningitis. You do not need much equipment to perform this procedure. All that is required is 0.5% bupivacaine, a 23 or 25 gauge inch and a half needle, and if you have it, it's very helpful to have apocoolant spray. The landmarks for this procedure, find C7 or the vertebral prominence, the injection site is approximately one inch lateral in between C6 and C7. You want to use a straight anterior-posterior direction for obvious reasons. You do not want to point this injection medially. When injecting, you want to keep your needle parallel to the floor. You want to avoid pointing your needle downwards in order to avoid the lung apices. If you want additional resources for performing this procedure, there are great videos online posted by Drs. Melek and Dr. Sacchetti on YouTube and in the EM News Journal. That is it for today. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at vlasikake at shjhmc.org. Thank you very much. And thank you, Dr. Vlasika, for being here with us today. For the listeners out there, I will link to the article she mentioned as well as the videos. They're worth taking a look at just to get an idea of the anatomy and the approach. But the technique doesn't differ significantly from other injections or nerve blocks that you're used to doing. I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. Thank you for listening to this edition of the ASAP Equal podcast. You can find the rest of our series listed previously in this channel or at the Academic Life in Emergency Medicine website, www.aliem.com. You can find me on Twitter at jwoodsmd if you want to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening.